So kicking in college comes down to doing three things. Kicking, punting, or snapping in college comes down to doing three things. It's about your grades, it's about your game tape, and it's about how gritty or consistent you are in the recruiting process and putting yourself out there. So let's look at your grades. I hate to break it to you guys, but unless you are God's gift to kicking, you probably are going to need some work in the admissions department. Football coaches only have so many favors they can cash in with the admissions department, um, and they're not going to use those favors if they can help it with a kicker, punter, or snapper. Academically speaking, a lot of these uh, specialists have some of the best grades on the entire team. The kind of the, the joke, at least on my college team, was you know that my GPA was keeping up the rest of the teams. So, if it comes down to going to a ranking camp or going to a seven on seven or paying for more physical training or something like that and you're not putting kickoffs through the uprights and you're not hitting these crazy punts when you're not God's gift to kicking punting or snapping already I would say that money might be better if it was reinvested into an SAT or ACT uh, tutor or just investing more in a tutor in general for those subjects that you might struggle with in high school. The better your grades are, the more opportunities you're going to create for yourself. Half the problem with a preferred walk-on situation is just getting into the school in the first place. The second thing comes down to your game tape. Some of the best specialists I've ever seen never made it off the sideline because their coach had no faith in them. Even if the coach had faith in them and their ability, the coach did not have faith in the snap hold uh, portion of their team or the team operation. So it is up to you as a specialist in your school to seek out who your snapper and holder are going to be. Your coach has so much he's doing. Their high school coaches are paid to do but what a high school coach does is probably 10 times more than what they're actually paid to do, especially in the Northeast. Nobody coaches high school football for the money. If you can make their life easier by going to your coach this offseason and saying, hey, let me find who, is, who our snapper is going to be. Let me find who our holder is going to be. I will work with them. And then when preseason starts up, if you don't like what you see on day one, you can change who you want. But if you do like it, let's roll with these guys. A great story is a kid I work with, Ryan Schatzel. So Ryan Schatzel, he just graduated this year. He's going on to play college football at Bucknell University, FCS Division I school. Ryan went from never having a single field goal attempt his first three years of high school to going 7-for-7 his senior year. Ryan's team is one of the more backwards teams I've come across in terms of special teams. But you know what? He saw it, he could have saw it as a catastrophe. He could have saw it as a huge problem, but instead he inverted it and he saw it as a huge opportunity to kind of take ownership of the situation. So this time last year, he went to his head coach and he said, listen, I understand you're really busy. Let me find, can you deputize me to find our next snapper and holder? I'll work with them once a week. I'll send you film. And then if you don't like what you see on game day, or if you don't like what you see on day one of preseason, you can jump in and find out who is going to snap or hold for us instead. So if it comes down to going to a camp or paying for more training, I would say use that money, use that time, reinvest it into identifying who your snapper and who your holder is going to be. You don't need a Division I snapper. You don't need a Division I holder to be a potential Division I college recruit as a kicker, punter, or snapper. What you do need is chemistry. You need trust with those guys. My high school snapper... 
He rocketed the ball back to our holder, but it came back as a knuckleball every time. My holder held with his front hand. The ball was always tilted, but I always knew he was going to get it down and I would have a chance to kick it. So you don't need to have the perfect snapper and the perfect holder to have really good high school film. Now, I understand that right now, spring ball is on hold because of the whole coronavirus thing. Luckily, as specialists, we are in a position where we don't necessarily need 21 other guys on the field to get quality training and quality game tapes. If you are going to take film of yourself kicking, punting, or snapping, try to make it as realistic as possible. Bring your little brother out or your little sister out or your mom or dad out to the field with you during this time. I bet your little brother or sister is probably driving your parents crazy because everybody's cooped up in the house. Pay them a dollar, pay them 10 bucks, buy them ice cream, have them hold for you. I taught my mom how to hold, I taught my dad how to hold, I taught him how to snap to me. It wasn't pretty, but just, just simulating, especially as a punter, for example, punting out of hand is great, but you also need to practice catching a ball, setting it, and then punting. Um, for kickers, kicking off of a live hold as much as possible, even if it's your grandma holding for you, is going to be more valuable than kicking off of the sticks. Um, for snappers, make sure that you're not only rocketing back bullets, but that you're also practicing blitz pickup, kicking back to the left, to the right, going downfield, um, and all that stuff. Obviously, I'm not as much of a snapping coach, but the more you can mimic what your position might be like in practice or in a game on film that you post to Twitter and for recruiters, the more value it will probably have. The last thing for college football recruiting, which a lot of parents, programs, and players misunderstand, is that it is not the, it is not always just about how good you are. Recruiting is not fair. I will say that again. Recruiting is not fair. All things being equal, the recruit with the more consistent habits and more consistent self-marketing and the more consistent sending of messages to college coaches is going to create more opportunities for themselves than the quote-unquote five-star kicker who just sits on his couch waiting for Nick Saban to call them. What makes you great at recruiting really isn't anything that's physically football-related. It's how well can you talk to a stranger? How well can you put yourself out there um, on Twitter? So for example, the kids who I have worked with and other coaches have worked with who have created the most opportunities for themselves, they all said, I am 100% accountable for my own recruiting. They didn't leave anything up to chance. <clears throat> so for example, are you sending 10 DMs a day to college coaches, to recruiters? Are you putting out consistent film? Are you calling college coaches? Are you filling out the recruiting questionnaire that college coaches ask you to fill out? College football recruiters have thousands of unread messages across iMessage, their email, and their Twitter DMs. There's a 10 to 15 second little slot in every college coach's brain that a kicker might fall into throughout their day of doing a thousand different things. All you do, all you can do is put yourself in as good a position as possible to fit into that tiny little 10 to 15 second window 
that they dedicate every day, consciously or unconsciously, to checking out a kicker, punter, or snapper. Even if you're a five-star kicker, even if you are God's gift to kicking, you still need to drive a lot of your own recruiting. So what I would suggest you immediately do is you polish up your Twitter account. Twitter's only for football. Make Snapchat or Instagram for your buddies. Send out 10 messages a day. If you send out 10 messages a day for the course of three months, you will get a response. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I do know that if you do not consistently keep shooting out arrows, you will not be able to hit a target. Last thing you should do, make sure you fill out that program's recruiting questionnaire. That's how they get your information into their system. Now, the bigger FBS schools are two-edged, kind of a double-edged sword. Those, the bigger FBS schools have a dedicated recruiting coordinator. Those guys are paid only to recruit. They, they will typically respond to emails. If it's like a top five school, like an Oklahoma or a Clemson, that's going to be a little bit tougher. Um, the next guy on the ladder that I would reach out to at a program, if it's not the director of recruiting, would be the special teams quality control coach. These guys are the guys who do the nitty-gritty of sifting through all the film, all the Twitter messages, all the potential recruit names, filtering out who might be a potential guy to bring in versus who's a guy who just wouldn't hack it at that level. These quality control guys are the first line of defense to bringing good recruits to their boss, the special teams coordinator. Then the special teams coordinator does their own filtering, and then they bring those names to the head coach. College football is a business. Your, uh, the coach who's recruiting you, their paycheck relies largely on the quality of recruits that they bring in. So that's what it comes down to, guys. It comes down to your grades, your game tape, and then your grit with how consistent you can be with sending out messages to coaches. Thanks. One of the things a lot of high school kids really struggle to get past is how am I supposed to talk to a coach? How am I supposed to talk to a college football coach? For a lot of student athletes, this is the first time that they're tasked with talking to somebody who has authority over their dream, over something that they want. Beyond football, one of the most useful skills you can ever develop in your life is how to talk to somebody. And in the age of screen time, there is nothing better to use as a competitive advantage than being a more personable recruit. Remember, your coach is stuck with you for four years, just like you're stuck with them for four years. They're not going to want to be stuck with a kid who doesn't know how to communicate, especially in such a weird position like being a kicker, punter, or snapper. So I'm going to take you through couple of my favorite phrases for trying to talk to a coach now the first phrase is uh, and I've gotten this uh, phrase uh, from a book called exactly what to say by Phil Jones so Phil Jones is a pretty famous marketing executive um, and he what his whole philosophy is based off of is you know people just need a little push or they need little phrases or cues that they can go to when you're broaching a potentially difficult conversation. So one of the things that I like to do when I am 
talking to a coach for the first time or talking to a new pros uh, player or client or parent is this phrase. I'm not sure if it's for you or not, but dot, dot, dot. Then I would introduce what I would like to talk about. When you say that phrase, I'm not sure if it's for you, the reasoning goes, whoever hears that then kind of has to think, well, why might this be for me? So if you're talking to a coach and you say, hey coach, I'm not sure if it's for you or not, but I would really enjoy learning how I might be able to contribute to your program next year. That's a lot easier than saying, coach, I want to play for you. Coach, give me an offer. When are you guys going to offer me? So using that simple phrase, I'm not sure if it's for you, but can help you broach a lot of different conversations. So if you are, <clears throat> if you're a high school kid and you want to ask your parents for an extra hour out at night to extend your curfew, or you want to borrow your dad's car, you can broach it like this. Hey dad, I'm not sure if you might be open to it or not, but I was wondering if you might let me use your car tonight. That's a lot easier than saying, Dad, give me the keys. You put the ball in their court, so to speak. Or if you're dealing with, you know, you're trying to talk to your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever, and you say something like, and you're trying to figure out what you want to do or where you want to go on vacation. Hey, I'm not sure if it's for you or not, but would you ever want to go here? It's just a nice, easy on-ramp to a potentially... Uh, higher stakes conversation. I think that works great too for if you're looking in the business world, if you're trying to negotiate a raise with your boss. Hey, I'm not sure if you might be open to it or not, but I feel like my numbers are very strong this quarter. Might you be open to considering a raise? Notice how I've also been using the word might or may rather than should, could, or would. When you use the word might, it is more of a possibility opener than being than using a word that's more commanding like, hey, you should think about let me, letting me use your car tonight. Hey, you should consider giving me a raise. Would you consider giving me a raise? Those are very forceful words. All these phrases that, you know, if you want to call it something phraseology, if you will, all that does is it just is a slightly smoother on-ramp to potentially you know higher stakes conversations if you're trying to get a phone number for a really high-end client or you're trying to talk to somebody who's a mentor who probably wouldn't normally want to talk to you is a that's a great phrase that you can use on a twitter dm or instagram dm or if you know somebody who might have access to somebody you're trying to talk to who might be a good mentor for you these are excellent ways to broach a potentially high stakes conversation. So again, the phrase you want to go to guys is some variant of, I'm not sure if it's for you or not, but dot, 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 then you introduce what you'd like to talk about.